great. Um, it's exciting to be here, actually. Um, I, was, I was actually a little bit nervous, and I don't normally get nervous. That, um, Julie knows uh, I can speak. It's not a problem speaking. I'm never at a loss for words or anything like that. But it was just, uh, I went through a dry period recently where, you know, I just wasn't hearing from the Lord. I wasn't spending enough time with them. So this happened just a couple of months ago. And so this is the first time I've spoken since, since that period, but I feel reconnected to the Lord. I feel uh, His Holy Spirit, so I'm very comfortable uh, being able to share with you guys today. Um, do you mind if I speak into your, your building project there just a little? Um, it just came over me when I was there. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things that I was so blessed by uh, your church is, is how generous you, you are, you know? Um, you guys, I think you had an offering for us, and oh, I bet you it's a year and a half ago, maybe? Yeah. yeah, about a year and a half ago. And I think it was one of the biggest offerings you guys <laughs> collected, and it was for land for, for a farm for our community, you know? Um, can you just play, can you play that little, that little video? Um, there's a little video there, and, and, and when I ask you to stop, can you, can you stop it? Just... of kids that uh, only have a four by six plot. You know, they stole their land from the city. They have no place to play. They got no place to do anything. But now that this land's acquired, it's a little different story. Finally, kids can be kids, and they're playing soccer on the field. They're having a ball. Can you just stop it there? Yeah, just stop it there for a second. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just going to pan around of, of the land. So we, we ended up with 2.2 2. 2 hectares, I think, Lekina? 2.2 hectares. Uh, originally, originally we, we, were, we were praying uh, for seed money just to be able to save up, save up for, for that land, the 2.2 hectares. But as usual, God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, right? So, so because of your, your guys' offering and your blessing and the seed money that you put in before you put in for your own building, you know, you put it out there. You, know, you put it into Cambodia. See, I'm going to cry already. <laughs> um, but God had bigger plans. I, I was disappointed. Yeah, it sat there for a year and a half in your guy's bank. You know, and you know the New Zealand dollar is going down, so we were losing money, it seemed like. And, you know, I was getting a little upset. But the Lord had bigger plans. So we ended up getting the 2.2 hectares for free. Okay? The Lord released that through Habitat for Humanity to us. And see the brown area? You see where the cows are on? All that brown area there is what, you, what your money purchased, right? And what that did was it connected another piece of land that was given to us. So now there's three pieces of land there that go all together. So we have over three hectares, which is going to be the farm for the community. Uh, there's going to be a school built in that back corner there on the land that... Uh, you, uh, your money purchased. So I just, you, you can just flow it through and just go there. But I, I yeah, I'll let, I'll let that finish and then we can go on. Soccer over here and volleyball over here 
and that's the fish pond behind. So this is what happens when, uh, yeah, just basically when we come together and uh, uh, praise the Lord and just uh, pray to Him that miracles do happen. Okay, thanks everyone. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord does a lot more. It's just amazing. So I, I really want you to pray this week about, about giving to your own church. You know, this, this is what happens when we give with generosity. You know, he, he, he just expands on that a lot farther than we could ever expect, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I just, it just came to me when we were in there that that was going on. So that's just a little taste of, a taste of what's happening in our community right now. We have a lot going on. We have a new school that started this year in November. But, uh, yeah, it's been a blessing. It's, it's grades one to three. We have uh, um, uh, the primary school in the morning. Then we have a thing, a supplemental school in the afternoon. The kids uh, go into school all day long, and they get, like, art and music and uh, creation care and uh, uh, worship. So that's what goes on in the afternoon. So it's just, just amazing what's happening in our community. And I just want to, we're just so grateful that you guys are such a huge part of that and not just your generosity, but in prayer also. So we, we just wanted to start with that. So um, today, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to put my glasses on because I'm kind of weak in that area. But I, I was actually blessed when I was walking around. I always like to come early and I like to walk around and get, you know, just pray and everything else. And God really blessed me by some scripture you had up on the back wall. Do you guys know what you got up on the back wall? It helps us old guys. It's a good one for us old guys. So sorry to include you in that with me there. But, uh, but you have up on the, on the wall is Psalm 71. It says, even though I am an old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Uh, I'm a guy who never thought I'd be here today, right? So today's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to confuse people with a different, her, her, uh, a different view of the word or some kind of little twist to what you haven't heard before. I think there's too much of that today. I, you know, I'm really confused out there where uh, I'm confused with Christians today. You know, I'm confused when I sit there and I get on Facebook and I'm seeing this scripture that's put out there with some kind of explanation that doesn't line up with the word at all. You know, there won't be any confusion today. Because today I'm blessed I get to share my testimony with you guys. Okay? Um, Glenn and I were talking and, and uh, the, one thing, the one thing people can't argue with is my testimony. Right? And my testimony lines up with the word because it's the power of God that that makes it all happen, you know. So I'm a guy that was so broken, so broken, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know the Lord, right? Um, my life was one of addiction, and it wasn't that long ago, you know. So I want to I start off, uh, I, I'm just going to share some scripture with you, some scripture that, that speaks to me uh, tremendously. Can you put up... Uh, um, I, I, actually, you know what? Uh, what I was talking about a second ago, let, let, let me read 2 Timothy to you. This is, what, this is what I worry about. You know, in 2 Timothy it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. And this is, the, this is the part that scares me. 
It says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what I see happening today. I see it in, in the prosperity gospel that's out there. You know, they're not, they're not preaching uh, this resurrection life. Not, not teaching about the power of uh, Jesus at all. They're preaching about how we, how we can live more in this world or better in this world. But we're not of this world, you know. So, so th- th- this is what I worry about. But today there won't be any of that. <laughs> I just wanted to share with you. It's something that's really been on my heart a lot. And it's like everything I'm reading, there's just confusion and parodies of, of the scripture, you know. And I, I have people sending out stuff that, that they, they didn't even see where it came from, you know. And, 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 and anyway, anyways, that's a, that's a struggle I'm going through right now. And, it, and so, like I said, it won't happen today. So let me, let me put up some scripture there. Um, sorry. Second Corinthians. Do you have that up there? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I get to share my testimony today. So I don't need a long read off this. I can put my glasses down for a minute. You know? So, I, I, you know, I grew up... Uh, I grew up very blessed. I came from like an upper middle class family, uh, had all the finer things in life and holidays in Jamaica and, you know, got a taste of the good life, I guess. But my parents came from poverty. They came from working class in uh, uh, Scotland. I was born in Scotland, actually. I came here when I was very young. And uh, so I had every opportunity in life, but uh, everything came easy to me. Like schooling came easy. I never had to study. I was a straight A student. Um, It gave me a lot of extra time. Believe it or not, I was the captain of all the sports teams. I know it doesn't look like it today. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, so I was kind of what you, you know, the A-lister in high school, I guess you would say, you know. And, uh, but, you know, there was something missing in my life, and I was just searching out. So very young, like, say, 15 and on, I was an alcoholic, right? So basically, from the first time, I had a drink. And I was the party animal in high school, and I could stay up later than anyone else, and uh, got invited to all the parties, and I took that up, uh, you know, the life of the party, all of that, and because I didn't have to study and because I didn't have to really try hard at anything, and it, and it came so easily, it gave me more time to pursue those uh, pursuits, you know, and I did, I did full on, you know, but it was never, never a major problem because everything was fine, right? Still had straight A's, still finished everything, so any, anyways, uh, Moving on in life, I just got bored at everything. You know, I went to college and then was bored at college again. Never went to my classes, got straight A's. I actually got one B, with the first B in my life, because I didn't go to his class, so he gave me a B. So I was really upset. Is there any water or anything? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my mouth's dry. Um, yeah, so I argued with him over that. But yeah, things came easy. So I ended up uh, working construction. My uncle owned a construction company. 
So I just kind of dropped out and started working working there. And, and the construction industry back then was really work hard, play hard. And I know, I know it's still a little bit that way, but not so much as it, as it was back then. So that really fit into my lifestyle, you know, and, and it came quite easily to me. And uh, then I had another cousin who was a plumbing inspector and he invited me to Toronto. And I went to Toronto and uh, uh, started taking up plumbing, picked up that quickly. And within, the, within my second year, I was running big jobs. You know, so I, I hadn't even finished my apprenticeship and I was running big jobs. And it eventually turned into uh, high-rise construction. So, what's that? Oh, thank you. This one sec. So I eventually turned into high-rise construction. And so I, I used to have about 45 guys working under me. And most of my jobs were like, you know, 10 to $15 million. So a lot of responsibility. Um, and everything on the outside had all the finer things in life and the big brand new truck and the nice house and all the toys and looked good. And on the outside, everything looked great. But uh, I was a functioning alcoholic at that time. You know, that's what they call it. You know, so my life looked okay, but I, it was always getting out of control. It was, you know, I'd get to a point where, you know, I knew I was drinking a little too much and I would just cut it back a bit, right? I never, never quit. It would be more like, oh, you got to calm down a bit, right? You know? And I used to be able to do that. I used to be able to control it a little bit, you know? And then it got worse and worse until, until, it, was, until it was all consuming. And what ended up happening was um, my, 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 my mother and my brother, they had, they had a, I guess you would call it intervention, right? I guess you call it intervention. They had me over to the house and they said, you know, Kevin, you're not happy. Like, what's wrong? You know, and I, and I said, uh, what, what I had at that time was I had, a, I had a dream. And I look at it as a vision today. But at that time, I had a dream. And it was only me digging a ditch and bringing water to a village. That's what it was. And so but they asked me what was wrong. And I said, I'm not meant to do this. And they said, do what? And I said, I'm not meant to build square boxes for rich people. I was building condominiums, you know, high-rise condominiums. And and, and they said, well, what are you supposed to do? And kind of facetiously, they said, well, what are you supposed to do then? I said, I'm supposed to be like digging a ditch and bringing water to a village. I'm supposed to be doing something like that, you know? And they kind of laughed, really. And I didn't think anything of it. And then from that moment on, that was about three years before, uh, life got worse, you know? I wish I acted on it then, or I wish I knew the Lord at that time. I didn't know the Lord. And, and my, my life spiraled down. I started using cocaine. And then I started using crack cocaine. And then I started injection drug using. And the whole time, I was running these big jobs. Um, I held on to my job for almost a couple of years in full-blown addiction. You know, thought I had everyone fooled. I ended up losing my job. But because construction was booming, I got another. There's only so many people that can do that, you know, that uh, size, of, size of work. And so I was given another, another job and responsibility. And about half, six months later, I lost that one too. And it was always somebody else's fault. It wasn't mine, right? And my life spiraled down, downhill after that. I had a lot of money, right? I used to make, make a lot of money as a foreman or project manager. So um, it didn't take long until I had lost everything, though. Within a year... Uh, I'd spend all my money, sold all my belongings. I ended up moving from this nice place 
down to uh, the downtown east side of Vancouver. I don't know if anyone's been to Vancouver or knows that area, but the downtown east side of Vancouver, uh, it's the greatest number of addicts in, in one. And there's a t 16, 12-block radius, sorry, with 16,000 injection drug users. Uh, homelessness, prostitution, um, it's just, uh, it's hell on earth, right? And it's this area called Maine and Hastings. And they call it, the, the nickname for Maine and Hastings is pain and wastings. And everybody's hurting down there. And that's where I ended up in a thing they call an SRO. An SRO is uh, it's single room occupancy is what it stands for. They were old hotels built like in the 50s. And so they, they had a bathroom down the hall, and there were just these tiny rooms. And it just had, it had a, a small cot and a sink inside, and that, that was it. Um, so my life had gravitated down that. It was cockroach and bedbug infested. That's what I lived in, the squalor. And I was so ashamed. I wasn't the guy that used drugs and partied with it. I was a guy so ashamed of what I was doing, I, I would isolate myself in my room. and uh, use my drugs there. I could have died any time, and no one would have known for a while. I just had a friend died two weeks ago. He was in his room a month before anyone found him. You know, Mother Teresa, she says, you know, the single greatest poverty is the poverty of loneliness. And I was alone, or thought, so I thought. I was quite the mess back then. I probably should have shown a picture. My wife actually has a picture of the first day I went into recovery, but I just want to take you really to, to one of my darkest times. And, and uh, it's going to be a little bit graphic. So I, just, so, um, I, used, to, I, used, to, I used to push the, the dresser up against the door because I was so paranoid that someone would be coming in. The paranoia of cocaine just really makes you uh, makes you go crazy, and you're hearing sounds and looking out windows and alone in this room. And I just uh, I was watching a show. I don't know if you have it here. It's called Intervention. Have you ever seen a show called Intervention? Oh, it's it's an A and E show, and uh, basically what it is is families come together and they have an intervention for their loved one, and they're basically telling them to get into recovery. Or we, we have to disown you, right? We can't enable you anymore, right? And uh, there was an eight-hour special. You know how they have those specials sometimes? There's one on in a row. So for eight hours straight, I watched this. Eight hours straight, I injection drug used and cried. I used and cried and used and cried. I said, there's no one coming to save me. Um, no matter how much drugs you use, eventually you go to sleep. Um, what I used to do was five days on, one day off. So I'd be up for five days on drugs and then one day sleeping. That was my regular schedule. So I went to sleep, and then I woke up the next morning. And I just felt this pressure in the room, this darkness. I'm going to share with you guys. I don't always share this with everyone. 
But I know this is a Holy Spirit-filled church, so I'm going to. There was this pressure that just came in the room, this darkness, and I just, I was so scared. I just, I just felt it closing in on me. And I looked up and I saw these apparitions in the corner of my room. So I wasn't using it this time. I'd already woken up, right? So I saw these apparitions and I was so scared. It was just like they were gloating up in the corner of the room. And looking down on me, it's like, look at the good job we've done. And I was so scared and this darkness was closing in. I felt my chest constricted and I just felt so scared. I was naked and sweaty and I had blood all over me from when I was using and the blood would run down from where I injected myself. And I was so scared, I dropped down on my knees right then. I dropped down on my knees and I cried out to Jesus. I didn't know Jesus, right? Didn't know God. I dropped down on my knees and I said, God, help me. I never would have started if I would have known I would have ended up here. That's all I said. I have a picture of Jesus now at that moment, right? That darkness that I felt, that pressure that I felt. I just see him in all his glory and all his pureness and all his brightness. Just arms around me, holding that back. And he was just saying, just ask me, son, you know? And I did. Can you put that other scripture up for me? This is so powerful to me. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. It's all of us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm a little confused. I used to be confused anyways. When I I used to hear a lot of people tell their testimony, right? And I'm sure you guys have before where people say, you know, there's those moments when you say, God, if you're real, show up, right? Do something right now. And we've all heard those kind of stories, but mine's a little bit different. I didn't know God, but in my darkest moment, when I was scared and petrified and didn't know what to do, who did I reach out for? God. There was something inside me that said he was there. He was real. And I cried out to him. So the next day, that day and the next day, I didn't use. And for an addict or anyone that knows uh, anyone that's been involved with that, that's impossible. You wake up and the first thing you think about is using or how I can get the money for it or what I'm going to sell, what I need to do. But I didn't use. And what, what, what had been happening at those times, um, I'd been going to a, a, a soup kitchen. I'd spend all my money. Even when I was still the foreman on the, on the construction site, I'd blow $3,000 a week on cocaine and I'd have to go to this soup kitchen to get food to get me through the week. 
and 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 uh, they had a sermon before the before the um, uh, meal, but I never used to listen, or so I didn't think. I used to take a book or the local newspaper, and I'd sit there and I'd and I'd read that while they were sharing the word. But there was two pastors that I used to listen to. One was a guy that had gone through addiction before, and he was just on fire and just like Holy Spirit filled and loud, and you know. And and I used to listen to him. It was so powerful to hear him. And there was another guy who was a big giant. He was like six foot six, a Mexican guy, but he he was just a gentle giant, right? And he spoke with this soft Mexican voice. And it was irritating to me. It was just at that level where you had to concentrate just to, just to hear what he was saying. So I used to listen to him. And he said, he said one thing. He said, you, you only get what you'll accept. Right? Is what he said. And it stuck with me. And it was like, if you accept the situation that you're in, you're never going to do anything to get out of it. Right? So I tried. I tried everything I could on my own strength. Before that, you know, I tried geographic cures. I'd move. It's just where I am. I need a new job. Try that. I, I need a woman in my life, and I get the woman, and then it's like, no, I just need her out of my life, and things will be better, you know? So I, try, I tried everything that I could in my own strength and could not do it. But here was the first time, and I cried out to Jesus, right? And he showed up with power. So I didn't use, and what I ended up doing, in a shopping cart, in a shopping cart, I wheeled the, last, the rest of my belongings into the Christian Recovery Center. I only had a couple of tools left that I hadn't sold. And here I go in, and the first night in there, I, I got in on a Tuesday. Oh, let me go back a little bit. Sorry, there's one thing I want to share. The, the enemy's attacking at this time, big time, because he knows the direction that I'm going. Uh, I went into the recovery center and I and I tried to uh, tried to get in. Yeah, it takes like six months normally to get into the re- this recovery center, right? And they said there was an opening for me the next day. You know, and I walked and I walked out of there. The enemy just started to attack. Oh, you don't need this. You're a man. You can do it on your own. Everyone's going to know you're an addict after this. You'll never get another job, right? This is how the enemy starts attacking right away because I was still so weak. I didn't have the word of God to defend me. But God was protecting me at that time and this, was a, this is an amazing thing too. I'm walking down the street and I'm just aimlessly wandering. You know, I'm in the, in the next day and all these thoughts are going through my head and I'm in an area where there's, it's, it's a football stadium and, and unless there's a football game on, there's nothing around there, right? So I'm walking down this empty street then, then at that time, the recovery center was uh, four months. It changed to six months while I was, while I was in there. Um, but it was four months long, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, four months, that's a long time, you know? And right then, a guy rides by on a bicycle, and he just turns, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and he said, time flies. <laughs> and he kept going, and it freaked me out. It just freaked me out. It was like he was inside my head. It was just like the hair on my arms went up. So, I, you know, I, I look at him as an angel today. You know, I, I really do. And, and so within, within uh, uh, two days, I had seen these, this evil in my room. God gave me these eyes just for a moment just to see what was going on, see this other world. It's about powers and principalities. It's not about what we're fighting here. 
And then he, then, then he sent this angel just for a moment. So it freaked me out. Both of them freaked me out, you know? Because it was this whole other world that I had no idea about. So I go into the recovery center on the Tuesday, and they have um, a Bible study class that's not part of the program, you know? Um, they have it at night, and it was the same fiery preacher. <laughs> he, 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 he teaches it. So I decided his name's Johnny. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, so I went to see what this is about, and I go into the class, and then it's like John 3.16. I didn't know what the numbers meant, didn't know what the names were. I never read the word before. Didn't know anything. So we get out of this classroom that night, and I follow all the guys, and they go to the smoking area, even though I don't smoke, and just following people around. And then I said to, I said to Johnny, I said, you know what? I said, this is the first time in my life I ever felt like an idiot. I know nothing. Nothing at all. You know that straight-A student guy? No, no, no. This guy knows nothing. What a great place to start. And that's what Johnny said. He goes, you know what? You're better off than most people. He says, a lot of people have to... You don't have anything to, like, unlearn. You haven't had bad teaching. You haven't had anything else. You're less like a clean slate. When you first step into recovery and somebody says you have a clean slate, that's a pretty good thing to hear. (laughs) So... um, the first, uh, that was a Tuesday, and then Sunday comes along. Sunday comes along, and someone asked me, did I want to go to church? And I said, no, 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 man, I'm just checking this out. <laughs> you know, I don't know enough about this yet, right? Then someone else came along. Oh, sorry, I, 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 I missed one, one important part. While we're, while we're at that smoking area, right after Johnny said that, uh, Peter, he, uh, Peter handed me a, a Bible, and he says, you get this, Kevin, when you graduate from recovery. It was a recovery Bible? He says, but I think you could use it now, you know? And I thought it was really weird. It's embossed with his name on it because he got it when he graduated from the program, but he used to come back just to the Bible study class. So the first Sunday comes up, and I said no, and then someone else came up to ask me, do I want to go to church? And then they said, it's Peter's baptism. And Peter was the guy who gave me that Bible. So I decided I'd go out of respect for Peter. So I go to church, and there was three people being baptized that day, and I listened to their testimony, and I just felt this warmth inside me, right? I just felt this, this is where I'm supposed to be. So the next Sunday comes along, and uh, I I go to the same church, and it it, it was about missions. I don't want to use the word hate. I just liked the day. <laughs> I just liked the day. It was about missions, but it was one of those, you know, sometimes the pastor, it's an informational uh, sermon kind of deal, and he's really telling you what the church and how they're moving forward and what they're going to do. So I, I really, but I felt like this still was the, where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in church. So I, I seeked out another church the next Sunday. So I've only been two and a half weeks in the program, two and a half weeks from having a needle in my arm wanting to die, two and a half weeks without any hope, and I go to this church. I sit in the back row in the corner. So be careful of those ones in the back row in the corner. It's a powerful seat. <laughs> you can't escape that easily. But I'm sitting in the back row. And uh, they were sharing about Cambodia that day. It was the first day that the church was sharing that that was going to be their main mission field for the next um, 15 years. And there were real stories of the people. And just I knew the history of Cambodia. But this is the first time they were just actually sharing stories and everything, and I was crying, right? 
And in the middle of my tears, God spoke to me. And he said, this is where that village is. And I knew it was the dream from three years before. So they had communion that day, and this is where, where my knowledge of things where I've looked around, am I in a Catholic church? I thought they did. I just knew that from, from, uh, from watching movies. <laughs> you know. But I went off and I ended up taking communion. I came back around, and this, by the time I got back to my seat, this burning sensation just started in the pit of my stomach and started to grow. And it just started taking over my whole body, and it just got up to here. And as soon as it got to my eyes... I just started weeping, weeping uncontrollably, like God was purging me. I don't know how long I sat there and I was weeping. So I'm two and a half weeks in the recovery center. I walk in on Monday morning to my one-on-one with my counselor, and I said, God's calling me to be a missionary in Cambodia. What do I need to do? So she was a little floored. <laughs> uh, I hadn't accepted Christ at that time, but I knew what God's plan was for my life. And obviously we had a long session. <laughs> but she said, uh, um, she said when I left that day, she started crying. She started crying because she said her whole life she's asked God, just tell me, God, what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Just give me that succinct calling, and I'll do it, Lord. And she knew when I walked out that day that the Lord had spoken that way to me. I didn't want her to be my counselor. I actually asked not for her not to be my counselor just before this. I actually asked for not. She was young. She was doing her, her uh, practicum, right? She had no experience. She was a young girl. And I was saying, I'm fighting for my life here. Why are you giving me this inexperienced young girl? Right? But they go, no, that's who you have. So because of, because of her, she, she went to bat for me. Some of the counselors that might have been there for a long time would have said, and, and this is what the counselors were saying to her, hey, that's too much too soon. Right? And she was fighting for me all the way because she knew. So they basically broke every rule in the recovery center for me. I was so on fire um, to learn more. Um, thanks. <laughs> so on fire to, uh, to learn more that uh, um, I was taking uh, missiology courses. I was at uh, the local um, university, uh, region college. I was uh, monitoring all their courses, auditing, I guess is the right word, auditing all their courses. I had so many people in my life feeding me. You know, and so grateful for that. I had guys in the program. There was one guy who actually worked for the Salvation Army, and he had some problems with alcoholism, but he knew the word. We had our own Bible studies at night. We just, like, there was, God just put people after people after people in my life just to encourage me and move me forward and everything else. And it was just, uh, just amazing. And then it was like, uh, um, I got out of the program at the end of the six months, and it was really funny because remember I told you there was uh, the speakers up that day um, uh, talking about Cambodia? Well, actually, I got invited to this house. They heard I wanted to be a missionary in Cambodia. 
And so I ended up going to this house and shared my testimony with them. And they said, you know, I was one of the speakers that day. So God, God had this mission group called Servants. And it started in New Zealand. Started in New Zealand. And uh, um, I ended up joining that mission group. So we lived in community. For the next couple of years, I uh, ministered to people that were in addiction just like myself. We had a house where we invited people in. I had two double bunks in my room, had about 45 guys go through my room where I could share about the power of Christ to them, about the freedom that was in Jesus, the chains that were unbound, you know, the limitless world that's out there because of that, and the purpose and plan that he had for not just me but them, you know. It's a tough thing, though. Some of our guy, friends go back out. Just like I say, one of my friends, one of those guys, the very guys died just a couple of weeks ago. But there's others that are following the Lord now and doing amazing. The biggest thing is surrendering. I never surrendered anything in my life because I was the guy that knew it all. We were just, uh, was it you and I talking? Yeah, just, just, just before the thing. I was, uh, had to have all the answers. Now I don't. He has the answers. It's his wisdom, not mine. I just have to follow. I got it easy. So I followed him to Cambodia. It's been quite a few years, and he's blessed me in so many ways. He's blessed me with a community that we just get to share his love with and be a conduit of his love. He's blessed me with this beautiful wife who's, who's not even concentrating. <laughs> she, she's probably saying, I wonder if he's going to say me when I say all the blessings in my life. But my biggest blessing, my biggest blessing. But... Uh, I know we all struggle with different things, right? And, and, and one of the blessings I have is sharing my story is because the depths of depravity I was in, the depths of hell that I was in, the Lord reaches be even beyond that. You know, there is no place he will not go to save us. So I just want to encourage... Uh, those who are struggling in so many different things, just to reach out to him, surrender to him. Maybe it'll take a moment, just like I did, to just cry out to him, get on your knees and just say, Lord, help me. That's all, that's all it was. It wasn't some big, long-winded, beautiful prayer. And God, help me. It's a very simple prayer, but one that he likes to answer. <laughs> Yeah, and the answer is quite quickly that one, I believe. He, he does it in many different ways. A lot of times it's the people he brings into our life to, to journey with us. And I know this is a church that journeys with people also, you know. If God's asking you to journey with, with someone, I, I, I want to encourage you to do so because not only, not only does that person benefit, but you do too because you get to see his glory shine through. You get to see him come alive. You get to see a life renewed. You get to see hope that wasn't there. You have hope for the hopeless. It's very easy for me to minister in Cambodia to people that they've thrown out as garbage. It's very easy because I don't see them as that. I see them through God's eyes, not the world's. I see their worth. I see their identity in Christ. I don't see even what they believe in themselves. I think a lot of times what we are as Christians is we're carriers of hope. And sometimes we have to carry that hope until people can carry it for themselves. And people can share that themselves with others. You know? So anyways, it's been a blessing to be able to share that part of my journey with you. And maybe, uh, maybe next time I come, we can go from there and share more about uh, how God's moving in Cambodia. And I'll be able to spend some more time with Julie there. And, 
I look forward to uh, sharing more with you guys another time. So just want to thank you for being able to share the power of Christ with you.